Well, good morning. Welcome to the fourth part of a series called The Story. And if you're here for the first time, I really appreciate you coming and checking out our church. I'd love to meet you afterwards. Our site pastor, Rob Perry, and I will both be down front after the service. We'd love to meet you and hear a little bit about your story. There's some Bibles coming down the aisles right now because we want everybody who wants a Bible in their hand to have one. Let the ushers know if you'd like one. Just raise your hand. You can have it. It's yours to keep, or if you'd rather just follow along on the screen, all the scriptures are up there as well. Well, we're going through this series for a reason, not just to learn the Bible, not just to learn what it says and to learn the stories, but to live it, not just to listen, but to experience. And the section of scripture that we're in today just adds on to the previous three where we've talked about God's relentless pursuit for the hearts of people. And this all really started a couple of messages ago with a guy named Abraham, who God said, I want to make a covenant with you. I want to make a promise with you. And through that promise, we know because we have the rest of the story in front of us, Jesus Christ is born many generations later. And what we're doing is looking at the stories in between. And if you missed last week, you need to go online and listen to it or watch it. You can just go to our resource page, lifepointchurch.com slash the story. And there are a lot of resources on there for you uh, to take this series even deeper through your small group, through personal study. And if you have kids over in LifePoint Kids, uh, you can talk about the same thing you've been talking about in here with them because they're going through the same series that we are. So we're up to a guy in this series of stories named Moses. But Moses' story really starts out with a guy named Joseph. Joseph was a guy that was a Hebrew, but he was thrust into power in Egypt because of his ability to interpret the dreams of Pharaoh. So Joseph interprets the dreams of Pharaoh, and he gets put in position as Pharaoh's right-hand man to lead Egypt through a time of famine. And through this time of famine, Joseph, because he was a Hebrew, he invited all of the Hebrews into Egypt so they could have food and they wouldn't starve to death. And so we pick up the story at the end of Joseph's life, and it says this in Exodus chapter 1, beginning at verse 6. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. So on one hand, when you read this scripture, so it looks like a generation has died. It's over. But as we'll see today, as we go through this story of Moses, that when it looks like the end, God offers a new beginning. And that's what I want you to take away today. When it looks like the end, you may be at a time in life where you feel like it's over or some big mistake has been made or somebody's hurt you or you've hurt somebody or something has ended in your life and you think it's finished, it's over. But those are the times in life when God offers each of us a new beginning. And so for the Israelite nation, what had happened to them when Joseph died and all of his brothers died and new pharaohs came into power, they forgot about how God had worked through this small group of people. And they began not to be a small group anymore. 
they multiplied and there was more and more of them and that intimidated Pharaoh he had him in slave conditions you know because they owed him he had fed them so he made them work for his government and then he looked around one day and noticed there are too many of these people there's too many there's too many Israelites and I have to do something with them and so he comes up with this horrible plan to slaughter all of the babies from newborn all the way up through two years old. And so his soldiers go through the city, and if, if you had an Israelite baby boy, he was killed if he was two or under or just a newborn. And Pharaoh's thinking was, if I can, if I can get rid of all the boys, then there's not going to be an army that comes along and defeats me or defeats my country generations to come. But there was this one lady who didn't want her son to die, who was going to do something about it, and she put her son in a basket and just let him float out into the river. And that begins, in Scripture, the story of this guy, Moses. So Moses floats down the river, and he is discovered by none other than Pharaoh's daughter. And like all rich kids, she's like, Daddy, can I keep him? Can I bring him home? And he says, yes, you're going to need somebody to help nurse him. And so she sends one of her Hebrew slaves or servants out to find someone to nurse him. And she goes and gets Moses' actual mother. Her name is Jacobed. And she comes and she nurses Moses. And then as, as he grows, Pharaoh's daughter takes over and she starts to educate Moses. I mean, she teaches him everything Egyptian. She teaches him how he's supposed to dress like an Egyptian. She teaches him how he's supposed to talk like an Egyptian and communicate like an Egyptian and live like an Egyptian. She even taught him how to walk like an Egyptian, right? <laughs> I was wait, that was like everything was right up to that. That's why I did that whole introduction and so, so I could say that. So if you're over 40, you know how funny that actually is. So, <laughs> so he's an Egyptian now. He's learned everything Egyptian and... A couple decades go by. There's not a lot about Moses' younger life, and, and a couple decades go by, and somehow Moses has figured out that he's a Hebrew. Either his mother told him, or something deep inside of him, just he just knew something wasn't right, and he figured he didn't fit in as an Egyptian, and he figures out he's a Hebrew some way. The Bible doesn't tell us. And after he figures out that he's actually a Hebrew living in Pharaoh's house, this is what happens in Exodus chapter 2. One day after Moses had grown up, he's about 40 years old at this time, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. So Moses commits murder and he gets found out. He thinks, well, I'm going to hide this and nobody's going to know. But some Hebrew people saw and they told some Egyptian people. And then Pharaoh finds out and Pharaoh is after him and he takes off and he runs. And he goes way off into the desert and for 40 years he runs from this terrible thing that he did. For 40 years he just wanders. For 40 years he's a shepherd. He finds a wife. He starts a family. And he thinks Egypt is behind him. All the things he did there are over. He doesn't have to worry about it anymore. And one day he's walking through the desert. 
tending his sheep. And he notices this bush on fire. And he walks over to this bush because it's interesting because it's on fire, but it doesn't burn up. I mean, imagine going out one day and your hedges are on fire and they're not burning up. There's just flames coming out of them, but they're still green and nothing's happening. And then a voice starts to talk to you. I mean, you probably go right to the psychiatrist if you saw that happen. But so this is what happens to Moses. He hears this voice, and it's the voice of God speaking to him. And he gets a little closer, and he listens, and here's what God says to this 80-year-old guy who's a convict on the run. Here's what God says to him. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way that the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. So this is when Moses hears from God. And as a pastor, probably one of the most common questions I get is, what does God want me to do? I mean, people want to know, does God want me to marry this person or this person or go to that school or that school or move to this city or that city? Does God want me to end this friendship? Does God want me to, you know, make that person pay? Does God want me to, and just question after question, what does God want me to do? Wouldn't it be nice if all you had to do was listen and look at something strange like a burning bush and God would say, here is what I want you to do. I mean, that's what we really would like to have. That's really what we do have in going through this series and learning the stories about how God works in the lives of people. We have something much greater than Moses did. He just had a bush with God's voice coming out of it. We have a book that's got God's story, how he started humanity, how he pursued people's hearts. And ultimately, how God rescued us from our sins through Jesus Christ. We have that story. So what does God want you to do? You could find it in here. You could find the principles and apply them to your life. And then you will know what God wants you to do. So Moses is saying, why me? Now, just think, of, think about Moses' resume for a moment. He's 80 years old. 80 years old. I mean, in our culture, we think, okay, you're 80, uh, you're done. You know, we really don't need you to do anything else. Just enjoy. I mean, have fun. You know, buy a motor home, live on the beach, enjoy life a little bit. You're 80 years old. But also, we are, and on the other hand, we respect maturity. I mean, if you're, if you're going in for surgery, major surgery, let's say you have to have brain surgery, and you're going in, and the nurse comes in and says, hey, I got a surprise. This is great. The guy that's working on you today, it's his first one. He's never done this before. It's, I mean, he's excited to like, you know, saw open your skull and get in there and get to work because he's so inexperienced at brain surgery, he cannot wait to get started. We would say, whoa, I want somebody that's got a little gray hair around here. Somebody that's done this a few times, so give me an old person. God has this thing about using old people. In Genesis, he used Abraham, who was 70 when he called him, 100 when Abraham had his son that was promised to him, and God used him in big ways, although Abraham's life was a mess. So not only does God have an affinity for using older people, it looks like in Scripture, 
God has an even greater affinity for using people who've messed up and who have scars and who have regrets and who've dealt with really difficult mistakes in their lives. And as we'll see through this story of Moses, the person that you would least think would be the leader is the one that God chooses and says, lead my people and set, help me set them free. His resume would have never suggested that. But somehow, even in our lives, our scars even make us more attractive to God as a leader. And I think that's because when, when somebody that's really messed up and has scars and made a lot of mistakes, God uses them, it's pretty clear who's in charge. It's pretty clear where the work came from. And so Moses is feeling like that and he's saying, okay, God, uh, you want me to be a leader? Are you kidding me? Like, do you know who I am? Do you know what I've done? And God goes on to promise him. So if, if your bushes are burning and God's talking through them, don't argue. But Moses argues and he's going back and forth. Well, what if this happens? Well, what if that happens? And God says, look, I promise you success. You are going to be able to do this. Now, if God spoke with his voice literally in my ears and said, go do this, I promise you success, I mean, I would, I would be gone. I would go. No question. But Moses still asked him questions. Well, what about this? Well, what about that? What if this happens or what if that happens? Those two words will paralyze you in major decisions in life. What if? What if he says no? What if she says yes? What if I lose my job? What if the economy tanks? What if this investment doesn't work out? What if that friend betrays me again? What if I forgive them and they do it to me all over again? What if, what if, what if? And when somebody lives their life asking, what if, what if, what if? You're paralyzed from doing what God would have you do. Moses is bold. And he keeps asking God, well, what if? And near the end, he says this, when God promises him success, he says, well, what if they don't believe me? Or what if they listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what's in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. So he's standing there with a staff, talking to this burning bush, and God says, what's in your hand? And he says, my staff. Now, his staff would have represented a lot of things. I mean, a typical shepherd's staff that had the hook on the top, it would have represented his leadership. It would have represented his livelihood. You couldn't be a shepherd without a staff. It would have represented security. And so he's holding on to that, and God says, you need to put that down. You need to put down your staff, because I've got some work to do with you, and I'm not going to be able to do it while you're holding on to your security, while you're holding on to your leadership, while you're holding on to things you think you can do. So lay it down. So he lays down the staff, and then God takes the very thing that Moses was finding security and comfort in and tells him to pick it back up, and he does a bunch of miracles with it, and he's still trying to convince Moses, look, I'm going to be with you. And he's telling him, yeah, your life is quite ordinary. But see, God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And your story or your effort that you have can influence and can be used to change others. See, God used Moses to free all those people. And so he goes to Pharaoh and he says, Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. And then 
God starts to send plagues on the Egyptian people. Plague after plague after plague after plague. And Pharaoh is still stubborn. He still says, no, there's no way. And then finally, God sends one final plague. It's called the plague of the firstborn. And what happened was, every firstborn child and livestock in Egypt was going to die. The death angel was going to come through Egypt, and all those kids were going to die. Does that sound familiar, something that happened a little earlier, like 80 years earlier, when Pharaoh was slaughtering all of the boys? And God, in his wisdom, and God who holds who is, is who holds vengeance, not us. God says, look, if you're not going to let these people go, all your firstborn are going to die. Now, I don't understand why would God do that? How does that work? But as we see, as we go through the story, in God's sovereignty, it totally works out for the Israelite nation and for all people to be able to come to God through a relationship with Christ. And so this night is coming where this last plague is going to happen and all the firstborn are going to die. And God gives specific instructions to the Israelite people. He gives them instructions about their diet, about special days. He tells them how to do a lot of things. He tells them to sacrifice a lamb. And when you sacrifice this lamb that you have, and they would have, they would have been on a regular routine of animal sacrifice, which was their way of going before God and saying, God, we're bringing our sacrifice to you to show our generosity and to ask you to forgive our sins. And that's why they did animal sacrifice. So God says, take a lamb, slaughter it, and before the meal, I want you to take the blood from the lamb and I want you to put it over your door. Put it on the top of your door, put it down the sides. So when God comes to take the firstborn of the Egyptians, he will pass over you. And he tells them, do that. Make sure your bread is unleavened, meaning make sure it has no yeast in it. And he says this to them. In Exodus 12, verse 24. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who will pass over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. So all these instructions God gave, they were about two things, obedience and protection. And that very night when God came through and the angel of death came through all the Egyptian children died and Pharaoh says that's it I will let them go and they pack up and they start their journey towards this promised land that God had promised generations before to Abraham Pharaoh lets them go but then as they go as they're all getting out and scholars think Anywhere from 60,000 all the way up to 2 million of these Israelites were in Egypt. And so however many there were, there were a bunch, and they took off on this journey. Pharaoh changed his mind, and he comes after them. And they're in the desert, 
And they look back and they see Pharaoh and his army on one side and they see the Red Sea on the other side and they hadn't been taking swimming lessons so they can't, that's not an option to get away and Pharaoh's army is much more powerful than they are. And so what they see is an enemy on one side that means sure defeat and an ocean on the other side that means sure death if they try to get across it. So here's an enemy and an obstacle and they're starting to get afraid thinking how are we going to get out of this? And you might be at a place like that in your life where there doesn't seem to be any good options. Like, okay, on this side, all this bad stuff's going to happen. But if I do this, then all this bad stuff's going to happen. And you don't feel like there's any good way out. There's any good decision. There's any good way to bring things to a close. There's no best path. And it seems like either way you go is going to end in defeat. And so anxiety starts to rise and overcomes your mind. And your heart starts to race and feelings of inadequacy and dread overtake you. That, I mean, I'm sure there's people, you're feeling that today. That's what these people all those years ago were feeling. And listen to what Moses tells them when they're feeling like, we don't have any good options. We're going to get slaughtered if we go that way. We're going to drown if we go that way. Thank you very much, Moses. We were at least fed while we were in Egypt, even though we were slaves. So what's going to happen? And I imagine a large murmuring started, a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety. And Moses said to them in Exodus 14, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. If you don't remember any other verse I read, that's the one to remember. The Lord will fight for you. All you need to do is just be still. What would get better in your life if you just listen to that one piece of advice from Moses. I mean, if you're full of anxiety, made some big mistakes, Moses is saying, let God do his thing. God will fight for you. What he's saying is, trust him. Trust God and you'll see your anxiety start to lessen. The fear, the guilt, the worry. When you give those to God when you say, you know what, God, I'm going to let you worry about that. I'm going to let you take care of this, and I'm going to stop running around in life, not getting any answers, being filled with anxiety. I can't fix it on my own. I need you to fight for me, and God says, gladly I will fight for you. And when we get to that point, then God is ready to do something huge in our lives to help us feel free. When I am trapped, God offers a way out so here are the Israelites trapped what seems to be no way out and this is one of the most famous sections of scripture if you've ever seen the movie the Ten Commandments or the Prince of Egypt which is a cartoon if you've ever seen any of those uh, you know that what happens at this point is even if you've never read the Bible that Moses goes up to the Red Sea and he commands the waters to part and they part and all the people from Israel walk through on dry ground and then the waters close in and the army of Pharaoh is defeated and they were delivered Moses was delivered from his fear and anxiety about leadership about leading the Israelites and the Israelites were de- were delivered from their fear, and anxiety from being defeated by the Egyptian army. See, Moses thought it was time to just retire and be done. And God says, no, I have more to do with you. 
And when what looked like an enemy behind them and an insurmountable object in front of them, then God delivered, God worked, and he'll do the same for you. And if you want to know how all that works, come and talk to me or, or Rob Perry, our site pastor, after the service. We'd love to talk to you more about that. To them, it looked like the end. But to God, he knew that he was fulfilling his covenant, and it was just the beginning. It was a new beginning, and he delivered them. And see, all of these stories from Moses to the Israelites and to all the stories we're going to look at in this series are leading up to the story of deliverance, the biggest story of deliverance, which is the story of Jesus Christ dying for each of us. And if you've ever read the Bible and you felt confused about it, you need to know that the thing called the Old Testament and the New Testament, 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, they are, they are interconnected. It's a consistent story that goes from the beginning to the end because a couple thousand years after this episode I just shared with you, Jesus was gathered with his disciples in a room sharing a meal, the Passover meal. The meal that remembered God passing over them and delivering them from death. The meal that remembered when we placed blood from the lamb over the doorpost, we were delivered and we were free. The meal that remembered through making of unleavened bread that make sure you don't put any yeast in it because, hey, we, gotta, we, don't, we don't have time to wait around for it to rise. We got to go because God's going to set us free. And Jesus has gathered with his disciples and they're sharing this Passover meal. But then Jesus takes this Passover meal one step further and he makes a new covenant and he redefines what the Passover lamb is. And he does it and it's reflected in 1 Corinthians 11 beginning at verse 23. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Right now, our ushers are coming down with some elements. It's just a little cup. And in that little cup is some juice on the bottom. And on the top layer, there's some bread. And this meal that we're getting ready to celebrate together has its roots all the way back in the Israelite nation when they were celebrating Passover, how God had passed them over and delivered them. Except in the New Covenant, it means something different. In the New Covenant, it means that Jesus Christ was our Passover lamb. It means that we were delivered through His sacrifice. And every time we get together... The elements that represented God's salvation for the Jews represent Jesus Christ's forgiveness for all who will follow him. And today as we take that and we share that time together, this is a time where Christ's followers remember. The same way in the Passover, people remembered. When we share communion, people who follow Christ remember. Remember what it was like to be without Christ in their lives. Remember what it was like to be hopeless and helpless. Remember what it was like to not have 
Jesus as their Savior. And to remember all of the things that you've been delivered from. The band's going to play in just a minute after we take these elements. I just want you to think about times in your life when it looked like it was the end and God offered a new beginning. Because these elements, if, if you're not yet a Christ follower, these elements represent new life and forgiveness and sacrifice and our salvation. So when you receive yours, just peel back the top layer and take the bread out and remember what Christ has done. And then take and eat. And then peel back the second layer and take the juice that represents Christ's blood shed for us so our sins could be forgiven forever. And remember, when it looks like the end, God offers a new beginning. If you need a new beginning today, please come and talk to me afterwards. I would love to guide you through what it means to start brand new. Or if life has had a way of really putting too much on your shoulders and you need to start over, please come and talk. We'd love to pray with you after the service and guide you through whatever it is that you're going through. Let's pray. God, thank you for this symbol that we can remember what you've done in our lives. And God, we don't have to approach you without confidence. We can approach you with full confidence in your forgiveness, in your grace, in your mercy. And as we remember what Christ has done for those of us who follow Christ and taking these emblems, may we always remember that you set us free. And God, for people here who have yet to take that step and follow Christ, may the words of Moses, the words of Christ, encourage them to take one more step. And I pray this in Jesus' name.